my home from Canada for COVID. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been good. It's a bit of a baptismal of fire. You've done a lot of traveling, didn't you? Yeah, before I had to come home because of COVID, I was in Canada for, uh, I think, four or five months. Um, and I flew straight from there, to there from Sydney. Um, and I was living in Sydney for a while before that. I was up in Melbourne, living there for a while. And then I took a month and a half out to do the east coast of Australia. So I flew up to Cairns and then... Just speaking it close that week, bro. Just worked my way down then from Cairns to, uh, to Sydney. So I stopped off in all the little villages along the way. Um, I took a sailing trip around the Whit Sundays, you know, the place with all the white sand. Uh, I was there. Um, I went to Uluru, the, you know, the big rock, in the, the thing there, middle of the desert. So I was there for f- four nights and five days, I think it was. And that was that was probably the best experience of my life. And there it was mental. Just being out in the middle of a desert for five days with no phone, nothing just you and people around you and you have to they give you time to get your own firewood you have to stop off in the middle of the road do that you get food given to you you have to cook yourself chop yourself um, and just organise it all it was, it was deadly yeah it's really good so and before that then um, if, you want, if, you, if you want bro drag that little clothes see the actual mics on that drag clothes wherever you want it to go even down that better is it yeah whatever you think whatever's coming to a few yeah before that then um I was in Ireland for a couple of months. Uh, I was spent the summer in Vancouver uh, in 2018, and then I was home for a few months. And then after that, then I flew off to Australia at the end of 2018, and unfortunately, was forced to come back then and the tar- start of 2020. Well, I got a few months in Vancouver in 2020. I was yeah. come home in April, so were I was. Were you working when traveling? I was working in a, for a little bit of it in Sydney, and when I went to Sydney first, I kind of struggled to find a job for a little bit because I kind of went over with the mindset of. I have a degree in cybersecurity, and it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be hot. You know, I mean, everyone's gonna want me, and I had plans to stay in a hostel for a few weeks, and then you know I was gonna get a big job and be on mad money, and that's it, living the life. But <laughs> after a couple of weeks, it's went to, mo- to months, and then I was thinking I didn't have work for about a month and a half, two months then, and I was starting to look at the bank balance because Australia isn't cheap, like you no, know, it's fucking, no. it's mad expensive. Um, so starting to look there at the bank balance and I said, geez, I need to start doing a, start putting my finger up my arse here and trying to look for, for jobs and kind of take a, take a bit of a hit of what I wanted to do. So as opposed to going for big cybersecurity jobs, I start going for smaller ones and smaller ones and then I end up getting a job in a, a pet insurance company of all things. Uh, doing nothing related to cybersecurity for a while just to, just to, to cover the bills. like, And then um, yeah, I was supposed to get a job in their security but that didn't work out because of the visa. So then... Myself and my mate, who was work, living over there, just decided to bite the bullet, move to Melbourne, and then before we left, then we actually had jobs organised. So, yeah, it was pretty good. So the green yeah. cyber security. Let's let's just get into what everybody's thinking. So the HSC gets a cyber attack, right? Mm-hmm. I have no idea those cyber security. So what actually happened, or, or what is the outline? So someone hacked into the HSC's medical files. Yeah, well, so what they think is one employee possibly was uh, a victim of a phishing link. So what that is is when, you know, someone might send you an email saying, you know, Jack of all trades podcast, 100 listener, this is you where we know you're doing a podcast, here's 10 tips, and there's a link on it. And once you click the link, then you uh, either put in your credentials, which, you know, is likely the case in most places, or you download malware, or you might download a, you know, an Excel spreadsheet or a Word document that has a macro on the back of it that runs down and, and infects you then, so... 
So they're either downloading a software type of thing that gives them access to the, whatever's on this computer. Yeah, yeah. So usually what happens is, just separate from, from the HSE to normal kind of phishing, is you'll download malware, which is just malicious software that lets hackers either control your machine or they can do stuff, you know, like in this case, it would be encrypted for ransomware or they can steal your credentials. It can be a keylogger. They can use your computer then to hack other computers as part of a botnet. Um, so yeah, just, and you know that can stem from something as simple as opening an email, or you can go onto a website, um, you know, like a free streaming website to watch, I don't know, Piggy Bones or something, or you know, you can just be using dodgy apps and stuff. You download that online, and that's when the malware hits. But you can also, that's only one part of phishing. You can go into you know like spare phishing or water holding where. If I know you're on this website every single day, you know, I mean, you log on to, I don't know, the journal.ie and you're looking at news there every single day. What some hackers will do is they'll actually infect the journal.ie. So when you go there, they'll infect your machine or your phone or something because, you know, you always go there then. So um, it stems from a watering hole for animals. You know, they all go to the same water hole every yeah, day. Yeah. If you want to kill an animal there, just go to the water hole and wait for them to come. So, so yeah, that's... Uh, that's how a lot of that stuff stems. And I think in, in, in this case with the HSE or any other major company that you see, it usually stems from a simple phishing link. Um, you know, a lot of places will try and say that stuff is sophisticated and stuff, but um, yeah, nine times out of ten, it's just a simple, you know, clicker to win a prize link, and, and that's how it goes. There. So let's say one employee did do that. Is there not a system in place, or a security or someone in place to stop this even after they've entered in yeah so usually most places will have um you know antivirus software or endpoint detection and response software which its job is to find the malware do see what it's supposed to be doing and then kill it and contain it and eradicate it um, and then it's gone off your machine so a lot of companies you know like i've worked with companies where they only make antivirus software and uh you know that their whole job is to find viruses so Every time an antivirus catches a hacker, the hacker has to go again and think, how am I going to make my software better or my malware, you know, more sophisticated to try and evade them. So you would think that companies would have, you know, the antivirus stuff in place. Um, but like I said, a lot of them don't. Especially so government, no? Yeah. Well, this is the thing with government is that, you know, it's very bu- bureaucratical. You know, there's not people with the IT mind working in those spaces. And it's not just governments. It's a lot of big businesses as well that aren't set up around technology. You know, you can't expect an insurance company whose job it is to insure people, you know, their house insurance, their car insurance, pet insurance. You can't expect them to have top-of-the-art cybersecurity or IT infrastructure when their business model is all based around insurance. It's the same way with, you know, even this case of the HSE or other companies, even if they are government or not, like their job is not to have state-of-the-art cybersecurity. It's to do what they're supposed to be doing. Now, in saying that, they should have relatively okay security but lo and behold they don't that wasn't the case and even this even HSE and a lot of companies you know wouldn't have it that you would expect and that's what you see always see the big news stories like Facebook hacked or Twitter hacked or you know Yahoo all this stuff companies that you think would have state of the art they have loads of money they only hire you know relatively smart people and they're all tech companies so you would expect them to have top of the range cyber security but a lot of them don't so so with the HSE, what is the ongoing issue with it? So obviously they get hacked now and these hackers, they get all the information and there's a ransom deal going on. Or yeah, so. so it's it's ransomware 
now uh, with the HSE, but ransomware itself is just kind of what you described is the hackers will get into your system and they'll they usually have a dwell time of a couple of days or weeks where they find the data and then they'll encrypt it. And what do you mean encrypt it? So, so they, the hackers find the data? Yeah, yeah. Right. so the hackers will get into your system and they'll use uh, you know, software and encryption methods and stuff to, to take your data and scramble it, essentially, so you can't see it. So it's like you know going out to your car there and changing the locks. And you, you try and get in, but your car key is not going to work. I have the key and I say to you, I'm not going to change the locks back until you give me 10 grand or 5 grand or 20 million or 5 million. Um, so that's, that is how that the ransomware works. And in the HSE's case and a lot of other cases as well, the ransomware is usually deployed by hackers who run a thing called a ransomware as a service. Um, so you could contact these hackers and say, I know a big company that's taking in millions of dollars per month or per year. If you hack them for me with your ransomware, we can split the profits 20-20 or 20-80 or 50-50. That's crazy. Um, and usually then what the hackers do is they'll divvy up the options, whether it's good or bad, whether it's worth their time. And if it is, then... They'll, they'll do it and they usually get paid a finder's fee or um, a transactional fee for their services and stuff like that so yeah that's that's how ransomware works it's um like a lot of them do use the same type of ransomware families over and over again like you know to cook this one HSE was Conti there's Royak um, you know there's a good few more like a couple of years ago there was one called WannaCry and that's the one that shut down almost everything. I think like 40 or 50% of all the computers worldwide were shut down, but that, that shut down the NHS in in England, they shut down health services all around the world, they shut down big businesses. There was a lot of ATMs around Europe and, and across the world had, you know, the signs up saying this computer has been encrypted because ATMs and, and stuff in the HSE and, you know I mean, everything is just r- really a computer, you yeah, know, so yeah. it doesn't matter what it is. If, it, if it's a computer, it can be hacked, get hacked and more than likely, you know, will at some point and they're like they say it's not a matter of if you get hacked but when you get hacked and what you're going to do when you when you do to try and you know recover from it so well hacked is big on on like a government body like the hse or nhs or can that just be done by one person or does it need a certain backing like another government backing or usually um stuff like that would take it a hacker group or a gang um, I think in this case they call themselves Wizard Spider in you know other cases there's the Emotech gang or the Riot gang um, the, you know there is big cyber criminal organisations who run as an organisation you know they have HR departments they've got finance departments like, I know the people that just done the hack there in the States a couple of weeks ago for the pipeline the colonial pipeline hack they actually take a lot of their money and donate it to charity Um <laughs> And that's their kind of like, you know, corporate social responsibility team saying we need to donate some of this money and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it is. And it's it's very rarely done by, it would be done by someone like me or my mates. Do you know what I mean? It would be a kind of people that are plucked out of college, might be plucked out of school, and they're just trained up to be just hackers and, you know, evil. And that's how, uh, that's usually how the gangs are formed. Um, a lot of the time, like what you said there about another country, like a lot of com- countries do have state-based um, hacking groups or you know state sponsored hacking groups and uh, Korea North Korea is a major major one to look at because they have a thing called the Lazarus group and they're essentially an organization of hackers in Korea in North Korea um, who are you know backed by the state 
and their only job is to rob other countries and hack them and take out their money and put it back into the state of North Korea. Because North Korea, you know, you can't do business with them. Nobody can do business with North Korea. So the only way they can make money is through, you know, illicit things like, like hacking other companies or hacking other countries and taking their information. Like they were the ones that were behind the Sony hack, um, which was which was very interesting. They were the ones that they tried to rob a billion dollars um, from the Bank of Bangladesh a couple of years ago, and that was caught. Um, These are all so North, this is in North Korea. State. This is all North Korea, the Lazarus uh, group, yeah. They hacked um, Sony. They hacked Sony years ago um, when the interview came out. Remember that film with uh, Yeah, it was Seth, oh, Seth Rogen. Is that like a, a, a fuck you back to them? Yeah, yeah. So they were told multiple times that not to bring that out, that film out. Um, and once it was released then, the Sony pictures just got hit with... Um, I think they got hit with ransomware first, I think. And then, similar to what's happening now in HSA and other companies, is that they get your data, and as opposed to trying to sell it on the dark web or something, what the North Korean hackers did was they just delete, or what's the word, uh, revealed it to people. So that's when all their new films got released. Uh, the interview got didn't even get to come out in cinemas because it was released online. Um, they released information about Spider-Man, information about all upcoming movies and stuff. Um, so there was a lot, of, a lot of their intellectual property was dished out on the internet and that was basically just uh, as a fuck you for what they were doing so yeah like a lot of companies or countries do have uh, do have state sponsors when you say the, groups. the dark web what, what what is the dark web it almost seems like you know what exactly something is out of it? a film or something something yeah. some very the black bad, market badly fucking put together action film yeah. <laughs> you got some fucking cunt with a hoodie on and he's sitting there in a blue screen or a yeah. black screen with green text it's a part of the internet that was um, that's inaccessible from your normal browser. So you so think I can't get to this. Anybody can get to it, but you need to have the right tools. So you need to have a thing called uh, Tor, the Onion Router, um, and you need to have the Tor browser. And basically, what that does then is that sets you up with a node, and you can connect to other nodes on the dark on the Tor network, and that's how you access then it's the dark web and, and it comes there. Um, so it's basically just a part of the internet that's that's hidden essentially, and there is a lot of goods to it, um, like a lot of pros. You can use it for security and privacy, which is a main one because it's very heavily encrypted. And it's very hard to, to crack the encryption on it. It was developed by the Navy um, a long time ago. As, the U.S. Navy. Yeah, as a secure communication, maybe with DARPA. I'm pretty sure it was DARPA now. As secure communication between naval sites, um, and then it was released then. And, you know, it doesn't make a difference whether you release something for good. There's always going to be somebody who can find the use for it in a, in a bad sense, you know. So they released it as it, whatever they were doing it. And then, yeah, it just spewed down into, it kind of started to develop and develop into more illicit stuff, you know. And around that time, then the Tor browser was set up. And in the Tor browser, then you need to access websites with dot .onion addresses. And once lists of websites that start coming out on the clearnet, which is your normal Google or, you know, all the stuff you use on your phone or your laptop, people were able to access it down. And that's when stuff like the Silk Road was set up um, by a guy called Ross Ulbricht there in the States a long time ago. And that's, I don't know if you've heard about it or not, but that was the first drug marketplace on the dark web. And he started selling magic mushrooms first. Um, it was a very good book about it. But he started selling magic mushrooms first and then he developed into selling, you know, coke and e and weed and stuff and then it started to get more and more illicit and there was people you know selling guns and there's people selling 
you know, hitman for hire and stuff. Um, and yeah, he eventually got, got caught and was sentenced to life in prison. Um, but he started off selling magic mushrooms and ended up turning into a big drug kingpin where he had FBI and CIA agents undercover dealing with him. The, the FBI and the CIA were, were robbing money on him because as he set that up then, the the birth of Bitcoin kind of coincided with that. And there was You have an option now to sell stuff online without people knowing who you are. We all have the option to buy stuff online now using Bitcoin, which is uh, in its day was, you know, the place to go for anonymized you know, transactions and stuff. And wow. If you wanted to buy something not wanted anybody to know about it, you go online, buy a couple of Bitcoin, log on to the Silk Road via tour and order, you know, a gram of Coke or, you know, a, I don't know, an eight of weed or something like that. So, so yeah, that's how, that's how the dark web kind of started. And then ever since then, it's kind of getting more and more popular amongst people that want to do illicit stuff online. So it doesn't actually, it's not just for, you know, buying drugs online now. You can go on and you can, you can watch videos that are taken off the normal web uh, like sitting in order to hit man for hire you can you know you can fake your own debt you can buy fake passports you can get fake birth certs um you can get a hacker for horror which is this kind of loops back in then to what we we're talking about about the the ransomware gangs and it was one person or not usually you can hire a hacker on the dark web and say i want this website hacked or you know i'm not happy with my skill results hack my skill and change them and usually the hackers then we'll take your job on, they'll do it, and then they'll charge you. So it's just like, you know, if you wanted to go online to tradesmen.ie and get a spark to come to your house and more, a few lights, you can log on to the dark web and get a hacker to, I don't know, hack your ex or, you know, shut your website down or shut your competitor's website down and stuff, so. Do you reckon this yeah. stuff is normal? Do you reckon this happens on a, on a day? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, there wouldn't be a market for it if it wasn't occurring all the time. Like, yeah. so... And I do, there is a lot of, of shy on the dark web and there's a lot of, you know, Hollywood hacking. You know, you pay me 50 euro or, you know, I'll tell you everything about somebody, you know, stuff like that. Um, but there is, you know, more clandestine things that happen on it. And usually what can happen is if you go deep enough into the dark web, you'll actually end up coming off the dark web and moving on to messaging sites like Telegram or Signal or Wicker or, you know, EncroChat that was shut down recently enough. Um, and that's where the actual stuff happens. So you might go online to the dark web to find somebody, but you actually will communicate with them off offline from the dark web on, on one of these encrypted channels. So yeah, it definitely does happen. Like, and you can even pay attention to the news. You know, you see ransomware gangs sitting shut down all the time. You see, you know, again that that encro chat thing that was popped there by the French uh, police authorities. I'm pretty sure it was where they sat in there. They encro chat is an encrypted messaging service similar to WhatsApp except it's only really used by criminals. And the police around the whole of Europe and across the world were able to shut it down and, and actually go through the messages and stuff and seeing that there was murders being organised through this or there was drug shipments being done or there was kidnappings and hostages situations. And, you know... This is were, all through this EncroChat. This is all through EncroChat, yeah. And everything usually that, that stems from EncroChat would have been contacts that other people would have made on the dark web. So, so that's, that's how that works. Now, like... Like I said, there is some ups to the dark web, you know what I mean? You can use it as a VPN to hide your identity. You can use it to access the normal internet as well. It does run incredibly slow, though, because really? of how many nodes and how the, the infrastructure works, whereby you send one packet from your computer to google.com, as opposed to just going straight there, which is you know unencrypted and not safe. It goes through a lot of different, whether, say, channels and tunnels and stuff to actually get there, so... Every hop it makes, it adds a layer of encryption to it. 
So that's why it's so slow. Is there anything so. out there that's that can't be hacked that's encrypted today? No, it's very rare. Mm-hmm. If it's something isn't connected to the internet, you know, that's probably the only way to stop yourself from being hacked. And there is no way to stop yourself being hacked. Like I said, it's not a matter of if you get hacked, but when. And there's no such thing as a secure network or a secure, you know, device. There is, you know, genius hackers out there that will find a way to hack a Mac that's supposed to be unhackable or, you know, hack into your smart lights just for, for the crack, like, you know. So and there's nothing out there that, that is impenetrable from, from hackers. like Someone like you that that doesn't work in hacking and things like that, could, could someone like you access... And what, what's, what's the knowledge you need to access the dark web? Yeah, well, a five-minute YouTube video will tell you how to, you know, <laughs> to, tell you how to access the dark web. Um, but, but getting onto it is one thing. Knowing what you're looking for is a yeah. different thing. Because like I said, you can't go online to the dark web and look up, uh, I don't know, hitman.com. You know, you'd have to find the .onion address. All the websites are all, you know, randomly generated domains. So it's not just, you know, google.onion. It's, it's something completely different. Um I mean, so you need to know, you need to know where to look. And at the moment now on the dark web, there's a lot of undercover activity happening. There's a lot of um, honey nets and honey pots set up by the US government to try and attract people to come and, and buy drugs and stuff like this. And uh, once you're on them, they get caught. So yeah, you can get on it, but you know, if you try and get on it just to experiment and stuff to look around, or you start trying to buy stuff off the dark web, you're going to end up either getting yourself caught or just getting your money taken because you need to know exactly where to where to look and what to do what's the repercussions of getting caught it's very very rare like you know if you order you go on the dark web and you try and order you know a, a gram of coke or something to your house under a fake name and it comes in you know from spain or peru or something like that if it gets picked up by the guards you know, they're not going to chase you down it might say what your address is on the front of it but that's not a real person do you know what i mean so there's no recourse you can say oh i didn't order that or that wasn't me Mm-hmm. Um, or someone ordered that to a wrong address like um, but usually what can happen is a lot of the time if it is a honey net they'll start monitoring the address so there might be four or five deliveries a month to different names but to one person or to one address sorry so and that, that looks a bit fishy like so yeah there's no recourse on that but they can eventually kind of track you down and you know saying every single time there was drugs ordered it's from this IP address coming to this house which coincides with you like you know so you know the recourse for getting stuff out the dark web, the ramifications aren't as, you know... Serious. Serious, yeah, because there's other people out there that are, like I said, ordering hits on people and on order mad stuff, so, yeah. And it's not, particularly in Ireland, you know, the guard don't really have the skill set or the time to be chasing down people from, I don't know, Blanche to her ordering yeah. fake gear, like, you know, fake hats and kind of the good shots and trying to sell them then on. You know, they don't have the time for that. But in other countries like America and especially Australia, they have a lot of uh, more they, a more stringent kind of process of getting stuff into the country where everything is checked, you know, and, and things are put aside for you. So it is very tough to get stuff sent there or, or anywhere that's not kind of a small nation like Ireland or England or somewhere like that. Like, Surely you have to be, like, have some spark. What, what, what made you want to work in cybersecurity? I think it's like you have to be a little genius kid. That well, I was purely... And to be honest, I was purely money driven um, because I always wanted to, be, I wanted to be a pilot when I was younger, um, similar to Brady had on before. But with me, it wasn't, I wasn't deterred for, you know, I there was stuff in my way. It was deterred more from the money aspect of it. Like it costs anywhere between 120 to 150 grand to become an actual pilot. And even then, you know, you might be slinging 
40 grand a year flying from Dublin to London every single day. Um, so when I discovered that around school, school age, 14, 15, I said, oh, fuck, well, you know what I mean? I'm not going to be making 120 grand a year when I finish school. My man with that aren't going to be able to give me this much money to try and study in, in DCU to do aviation studies or fly me to Florida to, you know... Train up. Train up and get trained. And then I went to seminars and stuff. And my dad's the same, being into planes and stuff like that. And he, we went to these seminars and, you know, you tie up the options and you look through the pamphlets and it's starting from 80 grand training. You know, they fly to Florida and stuff like that. But well, that's not within the, the reach of someone who didn't come from, you know, a minted family or whose family didn't have money or you can't expect your man, your dad, to go out and remortgage a house or get a loan for you for you to pay them back for the rest of your life. So... I was always really good at computers, really good at technology. Um, so I said, I may as well try and, and make money off this. So uh, After school, then I went to do computer science for two years in uh, ITB in Blanche, which is now TUD. Um, and then the first ever module we done, computer architecture, there was a security section of it. And I fell in love with that, and I thought this is mad interesting. And I was interested in how you know hackers stuff and how hackers do their stuff and how they work. And... After that, then I just went down my own kind of rabbit hole for a couple of years, and you know I got some really good lectures in ITB as well. One of the I think we mentioned it was out with us last week. Um, even them, and you know they kind of push you on to to look at you know security and, and stuff like that. And then I just started setting up my own virtual machines and having to play around with them. And when the time came, then in third year to swap, you have two options: you could stick with computer science, which was heavily uh, programming based. Um, so, you know, you might be making applications and, you know, all this stuff and programming languages and, and stuff that I was interested in, but I didn't really care too much about. Um, or you can go down the route of cybersecurity where, you know, it's less programming, it's more project work, there's less, you know, exams, um, and it's not as focused on the development side as it is the kind of security side. Mm. So, I never, since then, then, in third and fourth year, we went down... The, the stream of the unsecured communications um, you know so that's how to stop people tracking it essentially forensics which was I, I was really in, interested in that ties into my job now um, mobile device forensics a couple of sm smaller programming things where it wasn't as much programming as it was you know trying to find vulnerabilities and programs and stuff which I really liked and then um, yeah a couple of group projects and, and the project as well so to, to say what you like was I always interested and I wasn't I'm, I'm only in, I was only interested in making money so I could you know get money to pay to be a pilot or you know get flying lessons and stuff like that but mm -hmm. to be honest now I don't see myself ever ever going down that avenue I just see myself sticking to what, what I'm good at now and what I'm passionate about and what I like doing that's cyber security and the, the hacking and did it meet the financial things. needs it it did yeah uh, <laughs> same ones unsimilarly to what it was like in Australia when I went there thinking I was going to be Billy Big Bollocks and I was going to be making mad money when I left college I always worked through college so I worked in Samsung for a while and then I worked in a phone shop and they, they were kind of too heavily tech roles as well so you know I was, was kind of around technology all the time and I was fixing people's phones and they come in and, you know I was kind of helping stuff like that and I got good know-how about technology from there and then I tied into college um, and then when I left there I got my first job in cybersecurity then it was a big salary jump from retail part-time to full-time big boy job you know where you have to start paying mad tax. Like I jumped, I went from paying 20% tax when I was in final year college and the, my first ever paycheck I got was 40. You know what I mean? So it goes straight up into the higher tax bracket then and the, uh, it, do, it does meet the financial gains. Like if I could recommend anybody who's interested in technology and wants to, you know, have a good kind of income, cybersecurity is definitely the way to go. 
But in saying that, you know, it's not going to get me 120 grand. I need to be a pilot anytime soon. So, uh, yeah, it, it definitely did, did uh, hit, the, hit the target of what I wanted yeah. to do. It seems to be, because the technology has grown, it seems to be the thing to go into. Anything in the technology field, like all, like there's kids now, like, like the country's crying out for lads. I think they're paying companies now to actually take on apprentices, apprenticeships, to go into type of trades. Everyone's just coming out of school and going straight to college for these tech, cybersecurity, technology, yeah. IT. It's just rampant. That's the thing, and not just about cybersecurity, but IT in general. You know, if you looked at this 10, 20 years ago, there's a lot of people coming out of school, sixth year, saying, I want to be a Sparks, or I want to be a mechanic, I want to be a carpenter, I want to go to Foster for four years, do all my phases, and then either fuck off to Australia or New Zealand or something with your qualification to be an electrician or carpenter. Compared to now, you know, I think this technology is kind of taking over. Do you know what I mean? Where people during school now are saying, well, I don't want to get my hands dirty in a building site. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't want to be working 13 hour shifts, wiring up lights, doing me back in, wearing steel toe fucking shoes, getting blisters on my feet when I can, you know, put my head down, get a very basic understanding of IT and more than likely fall into a, a role where it's high paying in a tech company. Because Dublin, you know, when there's an abundance of tech jobs here, you know, you've yeah, got... You have Google, you know, Facebook. Google, Bates. Facebook, Twitter, Airbnb. You know, I've got a couple of cybersecurity companies as well who have their headquarters here. Um, you know, Apple are up in Cork, uh, and they're always doing remote working, you know. And more and more people and companies come to Ireland because of low corporation tax, skilled workforce. And like you said, then they have young, young people coming out of college who are thriving to get into the industry, get into IT, get their experience. Um, so yeah, they just get, get eaten up. So yeah, and it kind of does come with a with a downside because you get people coming out of college who, you know, like I said, might have the financial backing of their man that, who pushed them into, you know, UCD or DCE or Trinity to do IT courses, which are very heavily, uh, you know, self-taught. And there might be people that aren't used to that. And then they drop out of college and they end up you know, doing their own thing. But it's, you know, you might have somebody else then who want, who would have wanted that space but didn't get it and then someone else drops out, you know, so it does come with that and then, you know, working in the industry as well, you do find a lot of people who somehow manage to fall out of school and fall into an IT job and then they just keep falling into different jobs um, who know, don't know anything. Uh, so, yeah, yeah it, there there is a healthy balance between, like what you said, there are people coming out and, and wanting to learn versus when you actually get into the industry, just people there act that don't really know a thing. So I think it just boils down to you have to want it. Like yeah. if you want to work in cybersecurity or whatever the case may be, be a pilot and you haven't got the back and you'll find a way. Yeah. You will, you'll find a way around it. But it's like what you said, you have these kids, privileged, rich mammies and daddies that will put them through. But sure, that's what their mas and dads think is best for them. Yeah. IT, technology, all this thing is grown. They couldn't give a rat's ass. They probably want to be a fucking painter or something. And then you can't, as you say, you can bring a horse to water, you can't make a drink, so they just fall out over with it, or maybe they'll stick with it. They're afraid yeah. of what their parents might think. They're working for Google, and they're absolutely terrible. Yeah, you get people then who end up resenting, you know, their job, resenting the whole field, and they start to generalize mm. IT or whatever they work in because they have such a hatred for it. You know, if you're being forced to work 50 hours a week, and you're afraid to leave your job because you're afraid your mom and dad are going to go mad at you, you're going to end up resenting your life and resenting your job, and then projecting your opinions on other people. And, you know, Someone says, I want to work in Google. Oh, well, I work there. It's shy. You know, you get free chicken filler rolls, you can sleep in the office, but I'm working 50 hours a week where somebody else is like, I love it. I get, I get free chicken filler rolls. Yeah, I get to sleep and work. Yeah. I'm like working 50 hours a week, but I'm getting good money and it's fucking Google. You know, it looks good in your CV. 
so uh, yeah I think like that people do start to, to resent that and then kind of generalize yeah that's that's fat yeah, Amy like, at the office that fat yeah. bitch that fucking hates her life and she does that and but sure she's too deep into now she has mortgage kids she can't live and, and you're stuck there then that's it groundhog day so yeah like and the the one thing I do like about about one of the rare things like about Ireland is the fact that you know there's no shortage of IT courses and there's no shortage of, of pathways to get into IT you know what I mean you might get 30 points in leaving search with new PLC yeah if you can go from PLC to you know second year college you might do shit in the PLC you can do another one you know or you might come out of school not wanting to do anything until you're 23 and then go back as a mature student and then you can again do a PLC or you have the access to go into you know the universities like DCU or ITB or whatever and, and do IT again and so it's never too late to get into it but you know I mean, you're also never too far away from from turning around, turning your opinion around and turning your life around and saying oh yeah I actually want to get into IT now and get into it and because it's so broad you know like we were mentioning before there's, there's so many different areas not even a cyber security but of IT where you'll always find something you like doing you know mm-hmm. if you're you like you once may have been an electrician you might like being a network engineer because it's similar enough you know or if you're if you like being by yourself and not working as a team you know you, you could be good, a good programmer or you know good tech support or something like that so yeah there's definitely I see a lot more people getting into it now and I like it because you know it's good to see more people showing an interest in something that's, that's around you every day like you know so yeah so that's a that it's it's good to start difference between like if if, I, if someone said to my dad when he left school go and work in an office for the rest of your life in IT you'd be told to fuck off like you know you're told to get out and get a trade but I find now like what you said people's opinions of the parents their parents opinions even might have changed where people might start copping on do you know what I mean like my mom and, and you know, other people's mom and stuff might start copping on and say well you know what is there actually a need for you to be a welder yeah when you know if you say to me oh, I want to work in IT you know Everyone knows that IT is where is where it's at, you know, and it's where the money is, it's where the jobs are, and it's where the opportunities to, you know, excel most is. And you can get it like a couple of years' experience in an IT company in Dublin will set you on a pathway of getting a good job elsewhere, you know, in Australia or New Zealand or Canada or America or even if you move to to Britain, you know, you get a good job there. So, so yeah, I definitely would encourage anybody who's thinking about it to just the, do it. The biggest thing with kids coming out of school college or mainly kids coming out of school thinking of what college to do the first thing is is to do something you want so when you're going to bed you're not dreading getting up in the morning it's something you love you shouldn't be setting an alarm clock all these things but we're saying that you have to want it but when covid hit you start looking at the jobs that weren't affected yeah do you know what i mean yeah, you start looking at at you know some people who might work in I don't know, call centres or somewhere like that, or shops, we're all told you can't come to work anymore, you know what I mean? Whereas the IT industry, you know, compared to like hospitality or tourism or something like that, never... And never missed a B. Never missed a B. And it was like, I was lucky enough to work in cybersecurity, which is an in-demand course, or in-demand kind of area, whereas like when I came back from Canada, I had to leave my job just because I couldn't, it didn't make any sense to be working on the different time zone for yeah. the remainder of, of life, essentially. So... I was lucky enough to hand my notice in and then be basically offered jobs through LinkedIn a couple of days later, you know. So those industries like IT and cybersecurity or anywhere like that, they will always remain unscathed, you know. So you, you, you could literally walk out, get a plane tomorrow to Canada and pick up a job over there? Yeah, relatively speaking, yeah, you know. And, and that's just not cybersecurity, but that's, you know, any kind of 
relatively in-demand IT mm. background. You know, people are always crying out for programmers and cybersecurity engineers or network engineers and stuff like that, you know. Whereas if you moved to Sydney to try and be, I don't know, a sales rep, you know, or something like that, you might struggle a bit more just because it's it's not it's as not in demand. demand. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, IT has always been in demand, you know, and it's only luckily enough now for myself and other people that I know work in cybersecurity is that's started to get the light shined on it a little bit. Um so, you know, if you mention cybersecurity in your C V and I know a lot of companies that do actually get CVs in, they just do a control F to try and find on your CV and they just put in security or cyber security or malware because uh, a person I know was a recruiter over in Sydney was, was mentioned that to me before and said that they'll often just get CVs up and just try and look for keywords like security or hacking or something like that. So if you have the and experience. Then, if you have the experience, yeah. Or even just the interest in it, you know. But um, yeah, that's the, that's just the, the nature of the business and the, the benefits of working in IT, like, you know. Go all so, over the world. Yeah and do kind of do what you can and in my own experience it was lucky for me because it was moving somewhere else and getting paid an absolute fortune to live like a live like a king like I used to live in, in basically a penthouse like before I moved back to Valley Moon and when you look back now you think Jesus I was a, a spa to waste so much money and, and do that and paying fucking three or four grand rent a month to, um, three or four grand rent a month, a month and you know to, to do that and me and my mate that I used to live again, we were talking about getting cleaners into the gaff and, you know, because we were too lazy to clean and it's kind of, you get, you go from having, you know, essentially relatively okay money to just shooting up to the top and you're just, it's getting the lifts everywhere and, you know, even when, when I started traveling then, I was coming up down through the East Coast and you meet, you meet backpackers and stuff who are literally living off pasta and pesto. This is Australia. For, yeah, living off pasta and pesto and they're living off like Nature Valley bars for breakfast and, and dinner. And they want to spend no money, just spend all their money on traveling and drinking. It kind of opens up your eyes to seeing what a hell much of a douchebag you can be. And it, just a spa. Whereas, you know, if I could recommend it again, I'd say just get, if you get a good job, keep as much money as you can and just travel with it. Like, because like I said, I was lucky enough to, to make the money and then be able to travel around with it. And unlucky enough to have my travel plans cut short in the middle of COVID, like, because I planned to do South America. Asia, New Zealand, and then come back down to Ireland. So it would have been, uh, and that that is still the plan. Like, and again, I'm lucky enough now to be in a position where I can work and still save for you know I don't know whether it's the borders get opened this year or next year or you know halfway through next year. But as soon as as soon as that happens, I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I can say I'm gone. You know, I don't have to worry about saving up anymore. I don't have to worry about anything like that. I can just so you're saying you can go from Australia to Asia to wherever you want and still work once you log on at these hours and that's the thing yeah like and the thing now is and since covid hit the remote working uh industry i just seen a huge bill yeah. you know like if you've got people who never would have thought they can work from home putting in five days a week at their kitchen table you know and they're still managing to run a family and they're still managing to have you know an actual life as well so i definitely see when everything is finished a lot more people do what what i plan to do and just take a laptop and there's websites out there like weworkremotely.com and, you know, a couple of other ones where you can just register online and say, well, I have a degree in cybersecurity, I have this experience, or, you know, I work in IT, and just pick up Nixers, essentially. You know, you might get a week contract, you might get a couple of months, or you might just get, you know, a daily contract. So you can just take a laptop out, and it's called Nomad, uh, Nomad Working, where you can fly to Thailand and do two days in Thailand, and you might do two days working and three days 
quarantine, whatever, and then get on a scooter, get a, a bus or flight to Vietnam, and then to do work two days in Vietnam, and then or three or four days off, and then just keep going and going and going. Once you have a laptop and an internet connection, you can essentially work anywhere, yeah, like, you that's know. That's crazy. So, it's going to be the new normal, isn't it? That's the one thing I do, uh, I do like now about, you know, the working from home thing is there's not more stress on people who just think, oh, fuck, I'm stuck in Ireland now, and I got two weeks holiday a year, and I'm going to go to Lanzarote. And I went to Lanzarote last year, and I'm going to go to Lanzarote next year. You know, because that's all they're used to. Whereas I see, I think a lot more people now will be like, I can bring my laptop with me, and I can do a month in Lanzarote as opposed to two weeks. Or I might be able to do a month working in Lanzarote, and then take my laptop and do two or three weeks, and I don't know, Ibiza or somewhere, Sileo or somewhere like that. So, yeah, that's the... That's, it, is, it is going to be the new normal. And I find a lot of places now are starting to reduce their office capacities and kind of reduce their overheads because it costs a lot of money to run an office. Like, Wonders, we were walking through know? town uh, last week and all these office blocks, that big insurance companies, banks, like AIB, all these big corporate companies are saying, like, employees are fine work from home. Yeah. We're generating more than we ever have. There's no need for this office. They're saving thousands a month on rent. So I think you hit the nail on the head by saying it's just yeah. going to be all remote. It is going to be all remote. And a lot of pla- like I myself work, I only work four days a week and four days off a week. And I work 12 hour shifts. So um, the appeal for me to get up at five o'clock in the morning to get a bus into town at, se- at six isn't there where I can get up out of bed at half six. I won't be able to go for a walk or do a, do a workout or something and then log on to work at seven. So when you have a lot more flexibility like that, that's where it definitely plays in. And, uh, companies now can't force employees to work in the office because they've proven that they can work from home, you know, so... And there's legislation, I'm pretty sure, where in Ireland where you have to be able to work from home. Um, they, so they have to be able to offer you, if there's something going on at home, sick, anything that you can work from home. Yeah, or even if you just, you know, there has to be plausible cause to work from home, you know what I mean? But I think a lot of people now will be doing like a hybrid situation where they work two days in the office and three days at home or, or vice versa. Like, um, so yeah, that is one benefit. And you'll be able to start to see over the next one, I reckon you'll start to see those big offices decrease in size. They might move. You know, like I know an American now in Silicon Valley, which is the heart of IT for years, the taxes there are just, you know, they don't incentivize people anymore to live there. The cost of rent, the cost of living is, is through the roof. So they've all just moved to Texas. You know, they're all moving to Dallas and, you know, all these places where you start to see a big tech boom there now because everyone's fucking off from, from San Francisco and they're leaving Silicon Valley and they're moving to, to other places. I don't, know, I don't know whether you watch YouTube and stuff like that, but like a lot of the big YouTubers have moved to Puerto Rico. You know, they're moving to Mexico, Cuba, because they can still make content wherever they are because they have the internet and they're also paying little to no tax and the cost of living is, is nothing. Like if you look at people who do OnlyFans and stuff like that who emigrate to Mexico or they emigrate to, I don't know, Spain or something like that where they can, they're going to make money regardless where they live. So yeah. if you can make money and do what you do for work and it doesn't make a difference where you can live, why the fuck would you stay in Fingers? Do you know what I mean? You're not going to stay... Why would you get your tits out in your mad's box room when you can exactly on a Cancun beach? There's no reason to stay at home and, and you know, record yourself uh, there or do anything, whatever you do for work. There's no reason if you can do it somewhere else for the same cost, if not lower, why you, you wouldn't. Yeah. And uh, some people obviously don't want to leave, some people don't want to travel, but, you know, if I got the case or the choice where I could do my job in Ireland or do my job in Spain, you know... It's clear winner to know where we're going to do. Do you know what I mean? I don't have to worry about the rain. I don't want to be sitting on sunbeds all the time to get tan. You know, I can go and, and work out, outdoors and have, you know, a great life. Pay nothing compared to what you pay now. And and overall, so it's it's just much better. Like, so. California is crazy with the tax with the tax rates. American I, taxes, I think, are just mental anyway, aren't they? Like, yeah. I never really experienced 
I've never been to America myself, and it's, it's never been somewhere I've wanted to go. I spent one day in LAX, and I was traveling from Sydney to uh, Vancouver, and it was the most stressful experience of my entire life. And I just think people over there, are all, they're always in a rush to go somewhere. They're always bumping off you. They're mm. always, you know, they scream at each other. It's fucking Do you horrible. ever see the LA traffic? Yeah, it's, it's mental. Fucking like. hell. I don't know how anybody lived there. And But that's the thing, you know what I mean? If you're going to work at 9 o'clock and coming home at 5 o'clock, you're spending two hours a day in traffic. Why would you do that when you can walk, you know, from your sitting room to your kitchen in salute and, mm. and do, do a shift and then, you know, finish up there? So and I know a lot of companies won't accept, you know, the fact that they're based in Dublin, which you might be based in, I don't know, Spain or Portugal or something like that. But then... That's the case. You just leave and find a place that will take you. You can work remotely, like so. I trained with a guy. He was uh, an American. He was over here for I think for work for a couple of. Uh, I was I was only sixteen or seventeen when I met him, and uh, he was saying he's gone back to work. Company's gone back to Texas, and he was saying, "I was saying what part of Texas?" He said Austin, and I was saying, "Is that not a bit like?" Rednecky, not even redneck, yeah, but yeah. it's 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 unpopulated and it's more so. What's that to do? And he said, "Give Austin ten years, Texas is gonna be like booming." Yeah. And we always thought it was like Dallas or anything that's on the end. And now you're looking, Austin is just booming. Yes, yeah, so I've listened to a lot of tech podcasts, read a lot of tech journals and stuff, and they're saying, <clears throat> excuse me, that they're driving down the road now. Texans are driving down the road, and they're seeing, you know coders walking around with fucking Facebook hoodies on and, and they're ordering, you know, avocado toast and soy lattes. So <laughs> people from Texas would look down their noses if he tried to order an avocado toast. Yeah. And God forbid he try and order, you know, milk that doesn't come from a cow in these places. But I think that's just like I said, the nature of, of IT where they kinda they move like they they built up California and Silicon Valley and stuff and uh, they ended up just, just ruining that. I think they got because greedy with it as well. Greed plays a lot yeah. of factor in these things. Yeah. The government know that, you know what I mean, tech people are high earners. We're going to just essentially harvest the money that they get and, and tax, over-tax it. And, like, you know, I think in, in California, you have to pay, like, a housing tax. You pay income tax. I don't know what else you pay. You pay a lot, a lot of different taxes. Where you can move to Austin or Dallas, you're paying, you know, very little compared to what you would be paying in those other places. And I fascinates me the way that some states in America have different tax bans. Like imagine, yeah. if, imagine if you live in Dublin and pay 20% tax, but you could live in the back arse of Kerry and then pay 10, you know? So I don't know. I just think the whole system in America is fucked anyway. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, I was thinking like, whatever, I move abroad. And then I, we, we were in the States a couple of years ago and we are saying we'd love to go back. We'd love to live there. But then you're like, college tuition for the kids. Yeah, that's a hundred grand. Housing prices, yeah. tax, just for... To be living in the just to be living in the states and, and a bit sunshine and do you know what I mean yeah. when you yeah you have to think of these like places like you were saying in Europe that you don't need any type of visas you can just go over to Spain wherever yeah. the whole island Germany Sweden Switzerland and 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 reap all the rewards that they have yeah it's very rare now that you find like I don't, I can never understand why you'd ever find people air age you know what I mean who don't emigrate to Spain mm. but they'll they'll fuck off to Australia and they work on a farm for free for I three think months. it's yeah it's it's, you know? it's I would I was looking I was literally thinking because we're kind of flipping with the idea and it's saying right it depends on how much back to this how much you want and what you're willing to do for it but like these people going to Australia working farms for free because there's no language barrier rather than staying for a year learning the language and then reaping the rewards that yeah. do you know what I mean yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, you see all these Americans and all these famous people that go to, like, Puerto Rico and they go to, like, Spain and stuff. Um, 
man, they're not getting understood. But if you if you are willing to, do you know what I mean? If you have the choice of staying in Dublin, where you're gonna be paying seven eight hundred a month for a box bedroom, you know, in somebody else's gaff that you're never gonna own, and that you're, you know, you're never gonna be able to get a gaff, and you're gonna be paying mad tax, and it's the same shite weather, and it's the same thing over and over again. The Groundhog Day of getting the, the bus into town. Coming back, it's you leave. It's dark. You leave. It's it, or you come back. It's it's dark. It's raining all the time. Where you can, you know, download Duolingo and teach yourself French. Yeah. And then go live in you know the south of France and and work remotely there. It's if it's if you're willing to do it, you know. And like I said, if you want to do something, you'll always find the way. If you if you want to get out of Ireland or get out of anywhere and, and live in the sun, if it's in France or Spain or something, you know what I mean. You find a way around the language barrier. You find a way around not knowing what to do. Like you know, and usually. When you do get over that, and you, you might learn the language, you might just get a basic understanding of it. And then you compare it to what your life would have been like if you sat in Dublin or sat in Ireland. Like, you know, it's, it's mad. Yeah, I'd hate to be sitting at the bar 40 years now saying, what if that, that terrifies me to fuck? Yeah. <clears throat> what if I'd like, and that's the thing now with like my parents' generations and, and even like, you know, my granddad and stuff and granddad generation before that, whereas they never had the choice to, to go to. Australia, do you know what I mean? Then maybe someone might have been to America on a boat and risk getting there. Mm. Um, and you know they're sitting there now, and I even talked to my own par- like parents about it. And I said, you're not, you're not disappointed that you never actually got to, you know, see the Sydney Opera House, or you never got to, I don't know, go to see the Statue of Liberty, or you know, go to Washington or something like that. And they're like, well, no, because we didn't really have the opportunity. But now we do have the opportunity. You know, you can pick up a cheap flight to America for fucking three hundred quid. And yeah. You might have to fly through Oslo. Yeah, and, and, yeah. You know, spend a night or two in Reykjavik in Iceland, but you know, if you if you want to do it, you'll get there. Like, and you don't want to be like you said, sitting there, you know, drowning your sorrows in the point of Guinness. Eventually, when the do pubs do open, and you're thinking, Jesus, if I didn't, if I had gone then and done what I wanted to do, then I wouldn't be where I am now. Like, you know, and living with the constant regret of it. So, yeah, that's it. And you you got you get a lot of people here, right? Especially, I think it boils down to social media. It's a it's a fucking competition of I, I log yeah. on to and, and you add me or whatever as a friend and I say jeez man this fella's travelling the world work and I could do that and then I'm constantly thinking well I only fucking work as an electrician yeah. same building every day same lads chicken fillets this that coke cans I'm saying this is pox you look at that fella and I'm getting down on myself and it's a competition so when you see the likes where you can go abroad it's it's not only a no brainer but it's uh, yeah and that's the thing like and I think a lot of people do regret it when they get into their late 20s, early 30s where, you know, they might be have that job in Google or they might be working in an insurance company or in finance where you can't just leave it all and, and fuck off, you know, and you can't just say, oh, here, to the bank, I'm actually going to whip off to Australia for a year or I'm going to go interrailing around Europe. I'm not paying my mortgage for four months, you know, so I think as the time goes on, you get more responsibilities, they start to push down the the urge to travel and you know the, the drive whereas you're kind of living on you know not paycheck to paycheck but you're kind of living on on the worry of if i left my job now you know mm-hmm. what i mean and i went to just you know into red or i went to new zealand or something what would i have to to come back to a shitload of bills yeah you know so that's the thing if if you do and someone recommends me before is do it while you're young and do it while you have no responsibilities like you know when they, i even find them myself like i went to australia the first time uh, when i was 19 um, and I still worked retail there. I just finished my third year of college and I said, fuck it, I want to do something different. And everyone was talking about going to Ibiza. Let's go to Magaluf. Or, you know, 
let's go to Greece. So I actually ended up going to Greece when, as soon as I came back, so I can't really shit on Greece. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, people are talking about last holidays and, and it just came to the point where, you know what I mean? I just said, what's the point of going to Ibiza and pissing away, you know, a grand and paying 50 euro to someone so they can suck an ice cube in, I, I don't know, in Pasha or one of those clubs where, uh, you know, I can go somewhere else and, you know, spend relatively the same amount of money. So yeah, like the first time when I went to Australia, I was 19 and I just couch surfed for a while. Um, with a couple of family members I had over there and stayed in a few hostels and just, you know, I ended up getting trains around places because it was so cheap as compared to flying and getting, you know, overnight trains and just staying in some shitbox hostels just to meet people and, and get a bit of crack. And from there, and I just couch surfing then when I got to South Australia, lived with my uncle for a while and um, just done a kind of done that for a while so you know and someone said it to me before when I was when I was there he said you may as well get it out of your system when you're young so you don't have to be worried about it you know when you get older and live with the regret so I think a lot of people as well like the fear holds them back Um, like if I go on I see everybody doing it on social media and I'm saying oh but what about if if and social media brings out this big competition and then you're in doubt yourself of oh I'd love to do that maybe you haven't got the credentials or yeah. maybe you have kids but with, with it, the years go on it's even it's not easier but it's you're well able to go if you have kids all these things I was talking okay. to a lad and one of his mates no no qualifications went to Canada always interested in stockbroking so he went to the shop library got his book and was reading at a bus stop in Canada and some guy turned around and says you're, you're a stockbroker or what? He said, oh no, i just just interested. He says, do you want to work in stockbroker? And he says, eh, I'd love to, but I've now, he says, give me a number, show up this place tomorrow at nine o'clock, bang, year later, he's pulling, torn over 80 grand a year Man, and he's it? never looked back. That's think, the thing and, and he clearly had the interest to go out and buy the books and, you know, show, and show the interest. In but he went over with no like, plan. He, he, it wasn't that, oh, his mind was optimistic enough instead of looking at the social media or other people doing it and saying, oh, I could never do that. He, he actually had the optimistic stage. Now what, I'm going to do it. Sure, what's the worst that can happen? You come home, live in the same house, the same box room in this place and you just gain the knowledge. But at least you've you've tried, do you know what I mean? Uh, people don't talk about enough for people who, who actually try and emigrate and then they're forced back because, you know, they might run out of money or they might just got homesick or, you know, they might miss their family if they come from like a big enough family and stuff. And you got to say, fuck it, at least, at least I tried, do you know what I mean? I might have only spent a week yeah. In in a hotel in, in Melbourne or, or Sydney or, you know, if I might have tried to make a new life in Canada or, you know, I flew to Madrid or something like that. At least, if you come home, at least you can say, well, at least I tried. Do you know what I mean? No one can take that away from you. Yeah. Even if it didn't work out, you'll always have the thought in the back of your mind that, yeah, I might have, you know, lost this kind of scenario or I might not have achieved what I wanted to do, but at least I, at least I tried. Whereas a lot of people will shit on you because... They don't try. And it's not even if it comes to emigrating. It's come to a lot of stuff like... Anything. You know, people will always have an opinion on something you're doing. And they might be very opinionated on things that they've never done before and that they have no interest in or no you know, expertise. But they'll always just try and shit on you for, for something. like you know. So My, my fiancé, I do, I do have a laugh with her because I do not jump from one thing to another, but I need, like this podcast, mm. I said, this is, this is something STEM I really wanted to do, let's say, the last year and a half. And I was like... I haven't got my own place, get me on place. I haven't got this type of equipment, get it. I haven't got so I said, I'm just gonna start it. And she'd be kind of like, 
not, not, she's super supportive, but I do say, she said to me, well, you, you do this or you may want to learn an instrument, another language. Or, and I'm saying to her, I will never, if I get the what if question in my head, I'll always answer. Because I, as I said, I'll never be sitting back in a bar thinking sorry, I wasn't going to sign. What if I had actually started that? What if I learned that? I just kill it there and then say, you know what, I'm going to try it, going to give it all. And if not, fuck it. Yeah, it takes, it. it takes a certain type of mentality and a certain type of will, I think, to take something and run with it once it's put in front of you. You know what I mean? If, if someone says, oh, I want to start a podcast, you just immediately go, yeah, let's do it. You know mm. what I mean? Or if someone says, oh, I might, I want to book this or, you know, I want to go on holidays to this place or it might even be something as small as, you know, oh, let's get a takeaway. Let's do it. You know what mm. I mean? So sometimes if you're in that mindset where you just pay, take things up and run with it, and then accomplish it, or you know, maybe not accomplish it. Um, that's always a good thing to have. Whereas you, you put stuff on the back burner, you procrastinate. And I'm very bad at procrastinating myself. Like I'll always put stuff off to the last minute. Um, and it was the same in college, the same in school and stuff. Like not you really doing stuff until it was due two or three days before that, or even like it was something as simple as studying for the theory test. And all. I like, didn't start studying for that until you know maybe a couple of couple of days before that. So it's it's always good to be in the mindset of something. It's put in front of you, but it's a challenge to, like you said, to just run with it and do it there and then. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. something I say. We, uh, I always have to do is just answer that what if question because it will, it'll just, it'll avalanche down and get bigger and bigger, and you'll end up fucking jumping at it and, and overdoing it, which if you just do it gradually. And I you, think. Start, you start overthinking as well. I think a lot of people do that as well. They, they might think, oh, I want to move to this place. And then you're thinking, well, I have to get a visa and the flights are going to cost me a grand and visa's going to cost another couple of hundred quid and I might not get a job and I'm going to leave my family going to be alone. And then over the next few days, it starts building up and you're like, oh, you're looking at people, I don't know, how to emigrate to Canada or something. And people are like, don't go, don't go, this yeah, is shit, don't yeah, go. Yeah. And then you're like, well, you know, this person here who was only here for a week didn't have a good time, so I'm not going to have a good time. And then you just end up suppressing your will then to, to not want to actually leave or not want to do what you wanted to do. And then... It just kind of you, you fall back into the rut then, and um, so it is it is good to kind of want to do something, and then have the the drive and the will to just pick it up and, and fucking and do it. And if you fail, you fail. If you don't, you know, happy days. Sure. What's, the, what's the least that can happen is you walk away experienced and you walk away with you know the the top or at least at least I tried. Good know, so. a good friend of mine. He's a he's a uh, performance and sports ecologist, and he opened my eyes to different whatever scenario situations events in life that if you're down something or if you want to do something and you're kind of holding off or you're um, second thinking it the mind will tell itself stories and 99% of them stories are negative and they're not true so like what you're saying want to move to Canada you go on have a look at the best things I had a terrible time the, the wages are shit the economy's this and you're saying Roy I'm going to have a terrible time, I'm going to do this. Um, and you're telling yourself stories rather than actually focusing on what you can control. Yeah. You come up with that. hypothetical problems in your head that you won't be able to fix, hypothetically speaking, and they're not actually true, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you, people, you hear people that go away and they have horror stories, you know, of trying to, I don't know, trying to move to different places and it goes shit for them, you know what I mean? They're, they're stuck in a hotel or stuck in a hostel with no money and they're, they're forced to come home. And you, I think you try and picture yourself in those situations where things are going wrong as opposed to picturing yourself in the good situations like you said you're seeing on on instagram where you see you might see a blogger in well, i don't know on a beach in spain who lives there now or a beach in puerto rico or something and you're saying well she she's only doing that because she is who she is or you know when he is who he is he might be 
you know, rich or you might be a blogger or something, and then you start, you don't compare yourself to them, but you start placing yourself in the, the person who's stuck in a hotel, mm-hmm. you know, or the person who, who tried to emigrate and went shit. So, you know, I think letting other people, like what you said there, their experiences and their stories influence it is, uh, yeah, it's not the, the best mindset to be no. in. You just keep telling yourself these stories that aren't true instead of focusing on what you can control and what's actually reachable. And Yeah. It's like, do you ever get when you might be in the shower, you might be sitting by yourself or something or well, not even in college and you just start daydreaming about yourself being like, you know, I don't know, being a rock star or a movie star, being minted yeah, or driving, yeah. a, driving a Ferrari around Darrendale. You know day. what I mean? Like, if people, if people start to do that and then you're trying to think to yourself, oh, no, that's obviously not going to happen. But like I said, you know, if, if he's in that mind, constant mindset all the time was maybe not something as, as extravagant as, you know, driving a Ferrari, but something as simple as, you know, getting, I don't know, getting a degree or even starting basic and, and finishing school. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And picture yourself in college and then picture yourself in a job and then maybe on a plane somewhere or on a beach or something like that then. And that's, that's the best way to do it, I think. 100%. Dylan Kerwin, thank you so much for your time, bro. Thanks for having me. If anyone wants to Good. follow you, crazy Instagram page, which is one of the best where you've been in every country, <laughs> what is the uh, the tag? It's at uh, underscore Dale underscore Kerwin. Um, we'll give you a word of warning. My captions on Instagram are uh, quite bad. Uh, I try to be funny. But um, yeah, that's the... It's all about the content, me. bro. The content is that's, there. That's where to catch me. Um, on Twitter, it's kind of a big deal, okay? Um, and that's it no one uses Facebook anymore because we're not boomers so yeah that's just the main two I appreciate your time bro thanks for having me thanks brother thanks